a production of WordSouth, a content marketing company. Story Connect, the podcast, helping communicators discover ideas to shape their stories and connect with their customers. And thank you for tuning in to another episode of Story Connect, the podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Smith, and we're recording live at the KTA annual meeting, the Kentucky Telecom Association annual meeting here in Lexington, Kentucky. And our guest on this first podcast today is Brian Ford. Brian is the Senior Regulatory Counsel for NTCA, the Rural Broadband Association. How are you doing today, Brian? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us. And Brian has made a great presentation to open up uh, this Thursday morning of the conference, uh, May 25th, here in Lexington. Brian, in the role of a senior regulatory counsel, tell us a little bit about what you do at NTCA. Okay, so what I do is I work with my colleagues and primarily responding to the rulemaking or dealing with the rulemaking process at the Federal Communications Commission, which is, you know, they put out a proposal to the public of what they're proposing to do. They seek public comment on that, and then they move forward with rules based on the, the public comment that they get. And we usually file a, a filing. It's a little bit like a legal document, but they're they're called comments, and they're, they're filed with the SEC, and we, we, we respond to the questions and propose solutions um, that will benefit rural carriers. Very good. The audience for Story Connect, the podcast, is uh, several folks in management and different uh, functions listen to the podcast, we're told, but uh, primarily we're aimed toward the communicators and those whose uh, job at the uh, local telco level is to take some of the sometimes complicated issues and communicate those to uh, the, the membership or the customer base, as it were. Um, there's a lot of activity going on at the federal level that impacts what uh, happens to that consumer at the local level, the individual, the family, the businesses. Uh, look at some of the topics that you talked about today and talk to that communicator out there whose job is to let people uh, try to help their customers understand that there are things taking place nationally that has a direct impact on what's happening locally. Okay, well, I think it begins and ends with, in most of these rural areas, the cost of providing service, it started as a voice uh, service, and now it's a broadband service. And, of course, there's our members provide, rural carriers provide video services and wireless services as well. These are areas in the country where the cost to deploy the infrastructure, all the, all the infrastructure, all the work that you need to do, the plowing of the fiber, the putting up towers, the, the, everything that it costs to provide service to a customer is so astronomically high because of large geography, a smaller number of customers, uh, you know, just the, the density of the areas is, 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 is very low. And you also have weather issues, topography issues that make it much more expensive to build in rural areas. In a lot of rural areas, the construction season is, re- is really short because the ground is frozen. All of these make it so that in a lot of these rural areas, there is no business case to build broadband. If you were just a normal company and you were going to say, I want to build broadband to the thousand customers in this rural Kentucky County, you would look at it and you would look at the cost and you would look at your return on investment, your average revenue per user, whatever, and you would say, there's no way I can make any money on this. The market 
by itself would never sustain building broadband. That's where the high cost universal service program comes in. And that provides support um, on an ongoing basis for members to build broadband, to get it out there and to keep it there. It provides the funds to construct in the first instance, that's the getting it out there, and the keeping it there, making the network sustainable, is getting customers onto that network. And how you do that is by making the service affordable. Section 254 of the Communications Act, which was rewritten in 1996, says that rural consumers should have access to reasonably comparable services at reasonably comparable rates, reasonably comparable to what is available in an urban area. So that's where the high cost program comes in. Where it the decisions on the federal level right now are affecting rural consumers is, quite frankly, the companies are not getting enough money to build broadband and keep it affordable. The way it works is the amount of subs- or the amount of um, support that they're getting right now is insufficient to get broadband out to certain customers. To get it to the cu- to the customers that they're able to get broadband to, it's not going to be fast enough speeds. So those speeds are going to be very soon antiquated. And to the extent that broadband is out to these customers already, even no matter what speed it's at, it's not going to be affordable for, for that for that rural consumer. So those rural consumers are going to get left behind. You know, everything's going to the internet. And if you don't have access to a broadband service, you are a step behind the rest of your fellow Americans. And, and you touched on my next question there. Um, we've talked about the how and the challenges. Why is it so important that especially some of these very rural areas like we find in Kentucky here. Why is it important that we have this broadband infrastructure in these communities? Because it's, it's, the, it's the roads and the bridges and the highways and the airplanes and the trains uh, of, of our time. It, to get a job, you need a broadband connection. To do research for a job or for a, for a paper for school, you need the internet to, for you know, entertainment purposes as well. But for the most part, it's it drives economic development. NTCA's charitable arm con- called the Foundation for Rural Service wrote a paper last year, and I can I can provide you the citation to this that demonstrates the economic impact of broadband in rural areas. It really rural areas drive a lot of economic growth um, that accrues to the benefit of urban America and broadband, the availability of it in rural areas drives economic growth in rural areas. And it allows kids from a, a rural area to, 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 to have the same knowledge base as, as a kid in an urban area and to do research for those, for those papers and, and for the parents to find jobs that they otherwise wouldn't. And potentially it also brings business to rural areas. A lot of companies if they're considering moving to a lower cost area where it's a lower cost for them to provide a service and they know they can you know, pay their employees a living wage and still make enough money, they're not going to do it if broadband isn't there. If a business is not going to move somewhere where the best they can get is a 4-1 broadband service. But if they know that rural carrier can provide them gig service, and a lot of our members are able to get gig service out there, but there are too many who are not able to do it yet because of the lack of support, the business is going to move out there, and that drives economic development in a rural area. That provides jobs. That keeps kids around. You hear a lot about um, you know, kids in rural areas leaving and never coming back, and there's that sort of brain drain in rural areas. So I think broadband is, it's, it's, it's really comes down to economic development. 
that, that's the message I hope folks get. Well, you mentioned that uh, there's no real business case for bringing broadband to some of these rural areas. And in spite of that, you have seen a lot of NTCA members meet those challenges and do uh, an amazing job. Uh, talk, talk about some of those, especially here in Kentucky. Yeah. Well, to the extent that there is a there is a, what makes the business case is the high cost program um, and, and the carriers here. They've done a great job because they've been able to leverage that support, get loans from the rural utility service and for some of them, their local banks. And they live in their communities. The, the NTCA's rural carrier members are, they're not some nameless, faceless guy in a corporate office in um, Louisville, Kentucky. They live out in the rural area of Kentucky. And a lot of them, they grew up out there. They're their mom or their dad or their uncle or their grandfather founded the company and they take it as a personal uh you know mission to get broadband to the customers so i think that that's what makes us unique from the at&t's of the rises world not to not to you know say anything negative about them but you know they're they're not community-based providers and our guys literally are community-based providers i hear members say that um, I'll be at the gas station pumping gas, and I'll see one of my customers asking about, uh, why did my TV service go up this month, or, or, or that kind of thing? Or when can I get, you know, uh, I know somebody over in the neighboring county has 25-3 broadband. When am I going to be able to get that? So our members are living it every day, and some of them where they live themselves are not able to get uh, broadband service. So I think our members have done a great job of getting basic levels of broadband service to almost every customer, ten, you know, 4-1, 10-1. But those speeds are already lagging behind what's available in an urban area. I have 100 down, 100 up from files in, in my neighborhood in Washington, D.C. And I take it for granted that, you know, before I got on the plane this week to come out here, I downloaded, you know, eight hours of movies onto my phone in about five minutes. Um, and then I downloaded some material to, to, to work on my computer in about five minutes. And we take it for granted in urban areas that we can do that. Our members are committed to getting that done in rural areas. They've done a good job of getting, as I said, to those basic levels of broadband and a lot to 25.3. But again, they need additional ongoing support to get over the hump. And and what it what they really need to do is build fiber to the home to everybody. That's that's really what what will make that happen. And hopefully, policymakers at both the FCC and the state and the federal level will um, uh, see the light and understand that, as, as I talked about in my presentation, it's it's a few hundred million dollars uh, a year annually that would, would, would right now be a, a significant improvement. And in the grand scheme of things, that's not a ton of money in what Washington spends, but the economic impact that that could have in that rural area that also accrues to, to, to urban areas um, could, could could be huge. So hopefully policymakers see the light on that. Well, what's it looking like with the uh, with the current administration's uh, focus on infrastructure development? What's it looking like for broadband? <clears throat> well, I think one thing that is a positive is, as I said in my presentation earlier this morning, when we talk about infrastructure spending in this country, we generally were talking about roads and bridges and ports and airports and uh, you know, waterways and that kind of thing. The discussion has now included broadband. That's considered infrastructure now. Not not every policymaker has, has sort of adopted that language, but when you hear, increasingly when you hear policymakers talk about infrastructure, they'll say roads, 
bridges, waterways, ports, airports, and broadband. And that is a positive step. Where we're having a little bit of an issue is, I think, you know, there's probably nobody unaware of this, that they're a little bit busy in Washington right now. The, the, the president's agenda, unfortunately, is having a bit of a difficulty uh, getting through. Um, he, he's distracted by a, a lot of issues. And there are also a lot of just uh, various other items that he's dealing with, health care, tax reform. So it's, it's a little hard to see when the infrastructure spending bill does get done, but there have been more details out about it this week in President Trump's budget. And hopefully, you know, Congress can, can, can get moving this summer on that. I, uh, what I've heard recently is maybe closer to the end of the year for infrastructure spending. spending. They still got to get done with health care and with um, uh, tax reform. And then, of course, the, the budget fight that is, is a yearly part of Washington, D.C., of course. Absolutely. You had referenced uh, changes in the FCC process. And uh, one term that you used in your presentation this morning was the uh, potential Wild West mentality in the telecom uh, space. Tell us a little bit about well, that. Well, what I'm talking about when I say the Wild West mentality is the FCC a few years ago adopted open Internet, you know, net neutrality rules. They classified broadband as a common carrier Title II service. It's, 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 it's more of a regulatory approach to a communication service. The FCC is considering going back to a Title I service. Now, I don't think there's any company out there who will straight up tell you, hey, I really want more regulation. But rural carriers have thrived with a little bit of regulation in their space. The high-cost universal service fund is is, is, is a form of, of, of regulation. Um, interconnection in a voice world is, is, is in Section 251 of the Communications Act that allows our, our members to interconnect with other carriers and provide service is, 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 a, is a regulatory approach. We saw emerge in, I think, maybe 2007, 2008, issues with calls completing to rural areas. Our members would get phone calls from a customer and say, my grandson in a urban area has been trying to call me and he the call doesn't go through um, on my landline phone. He either calls me on my cell phone or he sends me an email and says, hey, I can't call you anymore. What's going on? And the FCC took some steps to deal with that, and it's improved a little bit, although not quite. Um, if broad, if, if, if the FCC hadn't had their Title II regulatory authority to deal with that, um, they might not have been able to solve that issue. So you move forward and you look at broadband being a complete, completely unregulated service and the IP space, the, you know, the emerging IP world being unregulated, the, the question we posed is what happens in an all IP world when a Netflix says um, to a rural carrier um, or some other online video provider says to a rural carrier, you know, it's too much trouble for us to deliver our, our, our video content to you. I mean, they're not going to do that to a larger nationwide cable company or, or, or other provider. But what happens when they do that to a rural carrier? And your customers still want to get access to that online video content. What happens when our members, middle mile or backbone providers that uh, you know that, that they need to provide broadband service, decide to raise their rates, hundred uh, percent or thousand percent? And is there a process in place to deal with that, or they just refuse to interconnect? Is is there a process in place to deal with that? And as I said in my presentation again this morning, if you think that can happen. Who would have thought 10 years ago that calls wouldn't complete to a rural area? I remember when I first heard about the call completion issues, calls not going to rural areas, 
I thought, are you kidding me? <laughs> it seems like we've gotten this down by now how to deliver a phone call. How have we all of a sudden got to a place where phone calls aren't delivered? Because there was a bit of a Wild West space and these, these companies called least cost routers that delivered phone calls to, to, to rural areas. So you can see that Wild West mentality affecting um, rural carriers and increasing their costs and, and making it impossible for their customers to, to, to get to get internet access and access to the to the overtop services that they want. We hear a lot about this in the news, but how big of an issue moving forward is cybersecurity and what role are the agencies that you interact with in NTCA involved in uh, helping us get through those waters? I think cybersecurity is going to continue to be a huge issue. We saw that ransomware, the WannaCry ransomware attack, and that spread really quickly and I think it surprised a lot of people you know the agencies what we've asked them to continue to do is a sort of a collaborative industry based best practices based risk management based process that allows companies to essentially take a look at what their own potential threats are and adopt security measures scaled to the size of the company and and a little bit easier for them to to implement to to deal with the actual threats they have. The other approach to doing it, what we try to avoid, is the FCC or the Department of Commerce or some federal agency or even Congress passing a law saying that, you know, ABC phone company in a rural area, you will do A, B, C, D, and E uh, security steps. Those security steps may not be uh, appropriate for a small carrier. They they may be um, not strong enough. They may be too strong. They may be something uh, dealing with security threats that a small rural carrier is not going to face, and it you know so that that forces them to spend uh, more money than they necessarily need to on dealing with cybersecurity. And of course, when you set out a prescriptive list of things that companies have to do for cybersecurity protection, you're essentially giving hackers a roadmap for how to get around it. So that 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 that's a potential concern, but. I'm a little concerned that, that that ransomware attack that I referenced a minute ago is going to renew policymakers' focus on taking that overly prescriptive um, process that, that, that probably just doesn't, doesn't work. Uh, what advice would you give to that communicator at, at a rural telecom in terms of, A, keeping on top of what is taking place federally and how that impacts, and two, ways to think about communicating that to the average uh, end user. Well, I'd say on both of those, and this is going to sound self-serving, you know, stick with NTCA. I think we provide a lot of great information for our members, and also we have a great communications department that puts out a lot of information that helps the companies communicate with their customers. And I would say, if I were running a telco right now, a rural telco right now, I would say, I'd be telling my customers, here's the challenges that I face. Here's here's how much it costs to provide broadband in a rural area. And this is why I have to charge you that rate, and I, you know, I don't want to charge you, you know, a hundred dollars for standalone uh, broadband service. And the telcos themselves and their customers need to be talking to their members of Congress and say that this is worthwhile spending, increasing the size of the high cost program, because again, it drives economic development in rural areas, and you're going to get that return on investment as a country by spending that money. And I, I would, I would be encouraging the telcos to 
talk to the customers about that. They the customers need to, you know, here in Kentucky, if you're a rural customer, you don't like your broadband, you need to be calling Mitch McConnell's office every day and Rand Paul's office and your member of Congress and be saying, hey, investing in the high cost program is 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 a worthwhile public investment. Well said. Well, thank you, uh, Brian. My guest today has been Brian Ford, Senior Regulatory Counsel for NTCA, the Rural Broadband Association. And you've been listening to Story Connect, the podcast. We are recording live at the Kentucky Telecom Association annual meeting in Lexington here on uh, May 25th, 2017. And Brian, thanks for joining us today. Great. Thank you very much for having me, Stephen. You've been listening to Story Connect, the podcast. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Stitcher. Subscribe, download, listen to those, share them with friends. We would appreciate a review as always. And until we meet again, keep telling your story. You've been listening to Story Connect, the podcast, a production of Word South, a content marketing company.